Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. So today we're going to continue our look through the years of Canada's history. We've done quite a few so far, and we're on to 1894. So let's begin. Notable events. On January 1st, the town of Calgary became the city of Calgary, thanks to the influx of people moving to the community because of the railroad coming through. The city will continue to be the largest city in Alberta for the entire 20th century, surpassing Edmonton even though the northern capital of Alberta is older and the political and academic centre of the province. On February 20th, the Supreme Court refuses to hear the appeal of the Manitoba Francophones through the Manitoba Schools Question. The question was a political crisis for Manitoba during the latter part of the 19th century, and it involved separate schools, publicly funded, for Roman Catholics and Protestants. This issue was quite old, dating back to nearly the founding of Manitoba itself in 1870. In 1890, Premier Thomas Greenway would pass the Public Schools Act, which removed funding for Catholic and Protestant schools and established tax-supported public schools. At the same time this was enacted, another act was passed removing French as the official language in Manitoba, despite it being very prominent among the Métis and others in the community. The two were not related politically, but it would increase the controversy over the schools. Court cases would be conducted with the first in 1892, when the Manitoba Queen's Bench held that the Public School Act was valid. This would eventually go to the Supreme Court, but even with the refusal to hear the appeal, this was not going to go away, and it would spread to federal politics in 1896, and it would be heavily influential in the 1896 federal election that divided Conservatives in Quebec and Ontario. We will hear all about this issue as it progresses over the next two years to that election in coming episodes. On March 22nd, the Montreal Hockey Club would defeat Ottawa in the first Stanley Cup Challenge. Montreal had won the first Stanley Cup in 1893, and Ottawa would take them on to win the Cup for the first time, but they would lose 3-1. Montreal would hold on to the Cup for another year until it was won by the Winnipeg Victorias in 1896. On April 27th, the largest known landslide in Canadian history would occur, with 185 million cubic metres of rock and dirt sliding, leaving a 40-metre scar that covered 4.6 million square metres, Interestingly, it doesn't appear anyone died, despite how large it was. On May 17th, the Pioneer's Obelisk was officially opened in Montreal. It commemorates the founding of Fort Ville-Marie on May 17, 1642, near to where Montreal would eventually be located. Made of granite and rising 41 feet in the air, it took 40 horses to drag the shaft to the city the year before. Since then, it has been moved several times, the most recent being in 1999. Each side of the obelisk carries a plaque. The first plaque honours the founding of Montreal. The second, the creation of the Montreal Historical Society. The third plaque lists the names of the colonists who came to the area between May and December 1642. And the fourth plaque lists the founders of Montreal. On June 14th, Massey Hall was opened in Toronto. The idea for this hall came from Hart Massey, who wanted to build a music hall for people in Toronto to meet and enjoy music. He also wanted to honour his son who had passed away and loved music. 
It was his feeling that the hall should not be a place that made a lot of money, and it would allow for both the rich and poor to attend events. By the time it was completed, it cost $152,000, nearly $4 million today. The hall has seen many notable performers and dignitaries. In 1901, the future King George V and Queen Mary attended an event with Sir Wilfrid Laurier. Many famous figures have given lectures and performances at the hall, including the Dalai Lama, Gordon Lightfoot, Bob Dylan, Billy Joel, Oscar Peterson, Winston Churchill, Glenn Gould, Neil Young, Bob Marley, The Band, Justin Bieber, Van Halen, and Jerry Seinfeld. In 1981, the hall was designated as a National Historic Site of Canada. In 2018, Gordon Lightfoot and Getty Lee reflected on Massey Hall in their histories. Your favorite moment at Massey Hall, what would that be? I think it was uh, when I went to see uh, Dave Brubeck, and, and second, next on the list would be uh, Lucio Pavarotti at Massey Hall. Well, the, time, the times that I went to see the, the Mendelssohn Choir and and went down to see uh, uh, the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. Those are the times that I really do remember best. But are you serious? I mean, you, you're the guy who, you know, you're the, you're the Hall of Fame performer from Massey Hall and your favorite moments are other people's concerts that you saw? Yeah, I, I enjoyed, enjoyed seeing people there. And I always went back there. And, and every moment at Massey Hall is a favorite moment. That balcony, is where I sat to see the cream mm -hmm. uh, back in 1969. What was really funny is they didn't bring a PA system. So Jack Bruce and Eric Clapton were singing through the house PA. Wow. And they didn't have their amps or drums mic'd at all. Uh, so they just had two Marshall stacks and the big drum kit here. And they were amazing. But their voices were very distorted coming through those little I thought that was odd. Even, you know, at that age, I thought, that's weird coming through that system. But that was my favorite band, and, and that was an incredibly life-changing concert for me. Uh, so, yeah, first balcony, stage left. On June 26th, Oliver Mowat, who had been Premier of Ontario for the past 22 years, would cruise to another victory in the Ontario election and would continue to serve as the third Premier of Ontario until 1896. The main issue during the election was the growing schools issue related to French language schools, farmers' interests, women's suffrage, and the growing temperance movement. This was the seventh consecutive victory for Mowat and his Liberals in Ontario, but his support was slipping with the party losing eight seats going from 53 to 45. On June 28th, the Colonial Conference would begin and run until July 9th. It continued discussions begun three years earlier regarding laying a telegraph cable at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean to create a link between Canada, Australia and Asia, and the rest of the British Empire. Meetings were held in the centre block of Parliament, and the Earl of Jersey was there to represent the United Kingdom. Many self-governing colonies were also invited, including Western Australia and Newfoundland. The conference also looked at favouring preferential trade within the Empire. On September 3rd, the first Labour Day is celebrated in Canada, growing from labour movements over the previous decade and holidays celebrated locally around various provinces until it became the federal holiday. On December 12th, Sir John Thompson would pass away as Prime Minister while in office. This continued a trend of Prime Ministers only serving for a few years after the death of Sir John A. Macdonald. 
Thompson had died from a heart attack while at Windsor Castle, where Queen Victoria was making him a member of her Privy Council. At the time of his death, he was very overweight, and his health was described as terrible. Following his death, an elaborate funeral was held for him in the United Kingdom before his remains were transported back on the HMS Blenheim, painted black for the occasion. He would be buried on January 3, 1895 in Halifax. On December 21st, Mackenzie Bowell would become Prime Minister, and like those before him since the death of Macdonald, he would serve only two years before he lost in the 1896 election against Sir Wilfrid Laurier. We will get to more about Bowell in future episodes. Also this year, the Rondeau Provincial Park would be established, becoming the second provincial park in Ontario after the founding of Algonquin Provincial Park the year before. Regulations at the park prohibited its settlement, grazing, most logging, but camping was allowed. These same regulations remain today, but the park is one of only two in the province with private cottages leased on publicly owned land. Today, there are roughly 285 private cottages. Billy Bishop on February 8th, one of the most famous pilots in Canadian history would be born. Billy Bishop was born in Owen Sound, Ontario, where he attended Owen Sound Collegiate and Vocational Institute. It was there he gained a reputation as a fighter who could defend himself and others against bullies. While not playing in team sports, he would build an aircraft out of cardboard, wood crates, and string at the age of 15. He tested his new plane by jumping off the third-story roof of his home. He was soon dug out of his wreckage, unhurt by his sister. In 1911, he entered the Royal Military College, and in 1914, joined the Mississauga Horse Cavalry Regiment at the outbreak of the First World War. While with the 7th Canadian Mounted Rifles, Bishop proved his ability with a gun by shooting targets so far away that they were only a dot. His eyesight was described as superhuman. In France in 1915, he would transfer to the Royal Flying Corps, working as an observer until a spot opened up for pilots. On September 1, 1915, he was able to report for elementary air instruction, and his first combat mission as an observer would be in January of 1916. In November of 1916, he received his wings and joined the number 37 squadron of the Royal Flying Corps. Things were not going well by March 1917 for Canadian and British pilots, with the average life expectancy being 11 days, and the Germans shooting down British aircraft at a rate of 5 to 1. On March 25th, Bishop recorded his first air victory, and by March 30th was a flight commander, and then earned a temporary promotion to captain a few days later. Known for his no-holds-barred way of flying, he would lead pilots himself into battle over enemy territory. His run-and-gun method was not without danger, and one mechanic counted 210 bullet holes in his plane after one patrol. In April 1917, he shot down 12 aircraft and participated in the Battle of Vimy Ridge, earning the Military Cross. The Germans began to take notice of Bishop and his blue-nosed aircraft and referred to him as Hell's Handmaiden. On April 30th, he survived a battle with the Red Baron and in May received a Distinguished Service Order for shooting down two aircraft in one day. On June 2nd, he flew a solo mission behind enemy lines to attack a German aerodrome, shooting down three aircraft in the process and destroying many more on the ground. He would be awarded the Victoria Cross for this. By the end of the war, he would have 72 victories in the air the most of any Canadian or British pilot, and third among all pilots in the First World War. After the war, he would spend his time running a passenger air service, lecturing on aerial warfare, and by 1929 was the chairman of British Airlines. 
1936, he was appointed as the first Canadian Air Vice Marshal, becoming Air Marshal in the Royal Canadian Air Force at the outbreak of the Second World War. He would be instrumental in creating a system for training pilots across Canada with the British Commonwealth Air Training Plan. In 1944, he resigned due to ill health to return to private enterprise, eventually retiring in 1952. He offered to serve in a recruitment role during the Korean War, but he was turned down due to ill health. He would pass away on September 11, 1956. Beyond his military awards, Bishop has been honoured in many ways around Canada. In 1967, he was inducted into the International Air and Space Hall of Fame. His home was repurposed into the Billy Bishop Home and Museum, and several movies and documentaries have been made about him. Both an airport in Owen Sound and Toronto are named for him. Numerous roads and parks, as well as schools, are named for him, as is Mount Bishop. In 1978, Billy Bishop Goes to War would premiere in Vancouver, with Eric Peterson playing Bishop and 12 other characters. It has become one of the most iconic plays in Canadian history. Here is a clip from 2011 when Peterson was performing the play for the Toronto Film Festival. Dearest Margaret, it's the merry month of May and today I sent another merry hun to his merry death. I'm not sure you'd appreciate the bloodthirsty streak that's come over me in the past month. How I hate the hun. He's killed so many of my friends. I enjoy killing him now. I go up as much as I can. Even on my day off, my score is getting higher and higher because I like it. Yesterday I had a narrow escape. Bullet came through the windshield. <laughs> I creased my helmet, but a miss is as good as a mile. And if I'm for it, then I'm for it. But I do not believe I am for it. My superiors are pleased. Not only have I been made captain, they're recommending me for the military cross. Thinking of you constantly, I remain. <laughs> Think of something special to get you through this war, but the odds aren't in your favor. That's a fact you can't ignore. Chances are the man will come knocking at your door, and you'll never get out alive. You won't survive. So when you fight, stay as calm as the ocean and watch what's going on behind your shoulder. Remember, war is not the place for deep emotion, and maybe you'll get. A little older. Other notable births. On May 7th, George Drew was born in Guelph, Ontario. Attending the Osgood Hall Law School, he would serve in the First World War, becoming a lieutenant colonel. In 1920, he was called to the bar, and in 1925 was elected as mayor of Guelph, serving until 1929. In 1939, he would be elected to the Ontario Legislature, serving until 1948. In 1943, he would be elected as the Premier of Ontario, winning a minority government. In 1948, he would be elected to the House of Commons, serving until 1957. During that time, he was the leader of the opposition from 1948 to 1956. In 1957, he would become the Canadian High Commissioner to the United Kingdom, serving until 1964. In 1965, he served as the first Chancellor of the University of Guelph until 1971, and in 1967 he was awarded the Order of Canada. In 1973, he would pass away from heart failure. Let's take a break from talking about Canada in 1894, and instead, talk about a podcast. Now, I've been listening to podcasts for a very long time, and one genre that I've always really enjoyed is true crime. But it seems like today, every other podcast is true crime. 
But one podcast actually dates back to the earliest years of the genre. Sword and Scale was launched in 2014 and it led the way for true crime podcasts that would come after it. Now with Canadian History X, sometimes we delve into crime stories, stories about evildoers in Canadian history, but for a really good podcast that takes a deep dive into the stories of the evil that lurks among us, there's Sword and Scale. Sword and Scale is the longest true crime podcast that combines 911 calls, interrogation audio, and more to tell the real stories that make you sleep with the lights on. It's hosted by Mike Boudet, and he narrates each episode to immerse you into the story. His podcast reminds us of the lessons of George Romero and his Walking Dead movies. The real monsters out there are people, and this podcast expertly relates those stories about the truly evil that walk among us. Sword and Scale is available bi-weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe today and leave them a review. That's Sword and Scale, also available at swordandscale.com. Subscribe today and give it a listen. Sword and Scale, proving that the worst monsters are real. On May 13th, William Rowe was born in Hall, Iowa to Canadian parents. The family would move to Ontario at the age of two. From 1919 to 1923, he served as the reeve of his township and was elected to the Ontario Legislature from 1923 to 1925. He was then elected to the House of Commons, serving until 1963, and he served as leader of the opposition twice, for only a few months each time, in 1954 and 1956, when George Drew was too ill to do his duties as leader. In 1963, he would become the Lieutenant Governor of Ontario, serving until 1968 and he would pass away on February 9, 1984. On June 4th, Mary Rose Anne Boldu, known as Madame Boldu, or La Boldu, would be born in Newport, Quebec, to an Irish father and French-Canadian Micmac mother. As a young woman, she would begin performing Quebec folk songs, becoming one of the most popular singers in Quebec in the 1920s and into the 1930s, and she is called Quebec's first singer-songwriter. During the peak of her popularity in the 1930s, she was known as the queen of the Canadian folk singers with her style of blending folk music of Ireland and Quebec with upbeat and comedic songs. Following her death on February 20, 1941, she would be issued a stamp in her honour in 1994, and a park in her hometown was named for her. On June 5, Roy Thompson was born in Toronto to a telegraphist-turned-barber father. He would rise to prominence selling radios in Ontario, while also launching his own radio station at the same time. With his wealth growing, he would move into newspapers and become an important press baron in both the United Kingdom and Canada. He would buy several British newspapers, including the Times, and in 1964 he would receive the peerage as a baron for his public services, becoming Baron Thompson of Fleet. In order to do this, he had to gain British citizenship, losing his Canadian citizenship in the process. He would pass away on August 4, 1976. In this clip from 1965, Mordecai Rickler interviews Lord Thompson for This Hour Has Seven Days. Do you think of this as your country, or are you still a Canadian? Well, I have the authority of the Prime Minister of Canada that I'm a former Canadian. That ought to be good enough, shouldn't it? Yes. I'm, I'm, a, I'm British, certainly. How often uh, do you visit Canada? Do you go very often? About four times a year, yes. Um, do you enjoy it more here? Are there any comparisons? Well, like uh, I like the life here very much. The social life is wonderful. Uh, I'm on first-name speaking terms with the most important people in not only in this country, but in the world. And uh, that includes royalty in many countries. 
And uh, this, of course, is something that you like. Are you uh, on good terms with Mr. Pearson? Not Canada. particularly, no. I don't admire Mr. Pearson very particularly. And uh, I, uh, uh, while he didn't take any action that deprived me of my Canadian citizenship, he certainly has done nothing about it. He wouldn't allow you to use a Canadian title, is it? That... that was undoubtedly a fact. He, uh, he dug his heels in on that. And you again, think this was a personal Well, I, I find it hard to believe that it wasn't. I'll put it that way. You see, wouldn't it have been pretty nice to be, go around the world Lord Thompson of Toronto uh, or of Ontario or some other part of Canada, wouldn't that be publicity for Canada? Wouldn't that have done something for Canada? Well, I think it would. Here's a Canadian press report titled Viceroy Roy, question mark. And it deals with your asking Mr. Diefenbaker to help you get a title. Mr. Diefenbaker is quoted as saying, leave it to me. And also, again, is saying, why not a life peerage, Roy? To which you said no. Is that... That's correct, isn't it? It isn't strictly correct. It isn't. No. Would you care uh, well, to correct it? Uh, I, uh, I had talked this over with uh, John Diefenbaker once, and uh, I left with a definite impression that he uh, would, uh, was in favor of my getting a title. Uh, now, he didn't do anything about it, and, uh, but he did definitely offer me uh, the Governor Generalship of Canada on three occasions, on one occasion of which there was a witness. On September 10th, Humphrey Wrong was born in Toronto, the grandson of Edward Blake and the son of historian George Wrong. He would lose his eye in an accident at the age of five, and despite this would still enlist and serve in the British Expeditionary Force, where he was sent to the front. After the war, he attended Oxford and in 1921 became a history professor at the University of Toronto. In 1927, he became the first secretary to Vincent Massey, head of the Canadian Embassy in Washington and future Governor-General of Canada. In 1946, he would be appointed the Ambassador for Canada to the United States, remaining in the post until 1953. He was one of the key creators of the North Atlantic Treaty that would create NATO, and he would pass away on January 24, 1954. On October 7th, Del Lord was born in Grimsey, Ontario. Hugh began to act in theatres as a young man before going to the United States and working in the Keystone Studios with fellow Canadian Mac Sennett. He would eventually transition into directing, and from 1935 to 1945, he directed over three dozen Three Stooges films. Over the course of his career, he would direct or produce more than 200 motion pictures, and he would pass away in Riverside, California on March 23, 1970. On November 26, James McEugan was born in Hunter River, Prince Edward Island. He would become ordained to the priesthood on May 26, 1918, and would study at various Catholic universities across Canada and the United States. In 1930, he was appointed Archbishop of Regina by Pope Pius XI, making him the youngest archbishop in the church. Four years later, he was named the Archbishop of Toronto and was created Cardinal Priest, becoming the first English-speaking cardinal from Canada. He would serve as an Archbishop of the city until 1971, and he would pass away in 1974 from a heart attack. On December 13th, Chester Ronning was born in China. He would come to Canada with his family as a young man and graduated from the University of Alberta in 1916. From 1922 to 1927, he would serve as a missionary in China and then come back to Canada to serve as the principal of the Camrose Lutheran College, where he remained for 15 years. He would then serve from 1932 to 1935 in the Alberta Legislature and was the leader of the Alberta CCF from 1940 to 1942. Beginning after the Second World War, he would begin serving diplomatic posts around the world. 
He served in China from 1945 to 1951, Norway from 1954 to 1957, India from 1957 to 1964, and at the United Nations. He would take special missions to Hanoi in 1965 and 1966 to mediate the Vietnam War, and in 1972 was awarded the Order of Canada. In 1983, he was inducted into the Alberta Order of Excellence and passed away on December 31, 1984. This is a clip from a National Film Board documentary from 1980 about Ronning where he talks about his life. Chester lives in Camrose, Alberta, a small farming community 100 miles southeast of Edmonton, in a house he helped build 50 years ago. Once a month, children visit him from the local school as part of their social studies classes. And the painting is judged on the basis of how light they can handle and how heavy they can handle the brush. But every leaf is just one stroke. And you see the difference between that stroke, that, that stroke and this stroke? Yeah. You see the difference between that stroke and these strokes and see the knots here are left? Yeah. Now, here are modern Chinese paintings. This, I say, is the grandfather. And he is not too interested in life, is he? He's quiet. Yeah. And there's his son. That would be something like your, your parents. They take some interest in life. And here you are. And, and do you see how lively they are? Yeah. Are you as lively as that? The attic of his house is a store of treasures. Photographs, rare porcelains, the tiger he shot with a Maharaja. Deaths. On May 27th, Sir Francis Godshall Johnson would pass away in Quebec City. He was born on January 1st, 1817 in Bedfordshire and would move to Montreal in the 1830s where he studied law. He was called to the bar in 1839 and became a well-known criminal lawyer, thanks in large part to being able to speak both English and French. In 1870, he was appointed as a legislative councillor in Rupert's Land, and in 1872 he was appointed to Lieutenant Governor of Manitoba briefly, but he was never sworn into office. He would then be appointed a judge of the Superior Court and was appointed Chief Justice in 1889. On July 23rd, Alexandre Antonin Tash would pass away in St. Boniface, Manitoba. He had been born in Lower Canada in 1823 and would attend Junior Seminary in 1833, feeling a religious calling. This would eventually lead to him becoming the first Archbishop of St. Boniface, Manitoba in 1853, a position he held until his death. On September 25th, Lieutenant Colonel James MacLeod would pass away. He was born in Scotland in 1836 and would come to Canada with his family in 1845, when his father purchased a farm at Richmond Hill. He would attend Upper Canada College before gaining a law degree and practicing law from 1860 to 1870 in Bowmanville, Ontario. In 1862, he transferred to the Bowmanville Volunteer Militia Rifle Company and was promoted to captain in 1863 and major in 1866. He would be appointed to the Legislative Assembly of the Northwest Territories in 1876, serving until 1881. Also from 1876 to 1880, he would become the Commissioner of the Northwest Mounted Police. Fort McLeod and McLeod Trail are named for him. On October 10th, Charles Monk passed away in Ireland. 
Born in Ireland in 1819, he became the Governor General of British North America in 1861 and the Governor of the Province of Canada. Under his governorship, Canada would begin to organize towards Confederation. When Canada became a country in 1867, he became the first Governor General of Canada, serving until 1868. On October 30th, Onye Mercier would pass away. He was born in 1840 in Montreal and would be elected to the House of Commons for the first time in 1872, serving until 1874. He would then be elected to the Quebec Legislature in 1879, serving until 1894 when he passed away. During that time, he would serve as the ninth Premier of Quebec from 1887 to 1891, and he was able to rise to power by mobilizing Francophone opposition to the execution of Louis Riel and what he saw as a betrayal by John A. Macdonald's Conservatives. He was the first Quebec Premier to defend provincial autonomy in Quebec within Confederation. His strong national stance would be something later nationalist premiers of Quebec would latch onto. Several bridges, schools, and roads are named for him. Mercier, Quebec is named for him, as is the provincial district of Mercier. I hope you enjoyed that look at Canada in 1894, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. You can reach me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find hundreds of articles on Canada's history, as well as all my podcast episodes, by going to my website, canadaehx.com. And again, you can support the podcast by going to Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have. Aaron O'Hara, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., Renee Beliveau, and Iris Gray. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.